Today marks the beginning of a, a new Christmas message series called the, the Christmas Star. Matthew chapter 2 verse 2 relates the, the wise men saying, We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Over our study of the next three messages, we'll explore how Jesus provides peace, promise, and purpose for us all. Today we want to focus on Jesus, the star who provides peace. So going back to 700 years B.C., we focus on a prophecy uh, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, and to us a, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The star in the east, his star, symbolized the, the Christ child to the wise men as they traveled to worship him. And the star not only pointed the way for the wise men to find Jesus, but it's used as a symbol of Jesus. Did you realize he's referred to as the bright and morning star? We find that reference in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. The last chapter of the last book of the Bible. It's one of the final six verses in Scripture. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. And then dropping down to verse 20, the Apostle John writes, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The star in the east, his star, symbolized the Christ child to the wise men as they traveled to worship him. Jesus is the star who provides peace. You might be surprised to learn that the word peace appears more than 400 times in the Bible, more than any word except God. And there are three insights I want to share with you today about peace from the Christmas story. And the first insight today is Jesus came to provide spiritual peace, not political peace. The Jews as a people had been oppressed for centuries at the time Jesus came to earth. The, the Old Testament prophets had predicted a Messiah who would be their deliverer. Isaiah, the, the same prophet who predicted that Jesus would be the Prince of Peace, foretold the coming of the Messiah. For the next 700 years, Jews waited for this powerful military leader, for a, a king in the image of, of David to take them from last place in the standings and make them into contenders for the championship. We see a little bit of that with the Bengals and, and Joe Burrow. You know, we need a Joe Burrow. We need a king like when David was king. And, and, and they reason, finally, as a nation, we'll get some respect again. Like, like back in the days when Solomon and David ruled us. Even Christ's insiders, the apostles, seem to think in those familiar terms of having a political Messiah. They, they were expecting Jesus to be this military force to free this proud people from their humiliating yoke of Roman taxation 
and oppression. Simon the Zealot was one of the apostles who previously was a political revolutionary. The, the apostles had watched the miraculous displays of Jesus' power, and they knew that he possessed the power to single-handedly free their nation. And they assumed that it was only a matter of time and that he would manifest his consummate authority. You remember on the night when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, Simon Peter incorrectly concluded that this must be the moment to make a stand. This was that time for Jesus to overthrow the Roman authorities. We, we read about it in John 18, verses 10 and 11. Simon Peter drew his sword to fight when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Simon Peter swung his sword with a downward blow. And the Bible says he sliced off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's service, servant. Peter's intention was not to take a little off the side, but he was trying to split the opposer's skull in half. Luke 22, verses 51 and following read, But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear, and he healed him. And that had to be very confusing to them, thinking this, was, this is the moment of our revolt, right? Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus made it crystal clear. He was not here to be a military messiah and, and lead a, a political revolt. He was here to address the darkness of the soul and be a spiritual messiah, calling individuals back to God. He was a restorer, not a revolutionary. He was an internist, spiritually speaking, not an insurrectionist. Listen to Jesus' own explanation when he was interrogated after his arrest. John 18, verses 33 through 37. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, It was your people, your chief priests, who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And really, verse 36 summarizes, my kingdom is not of this world. So insight number one is that Jesus came to provide spiritual peace, not political peace. The, the second insight I want to point out to you is, is that the Prince of Peace, Jesus, came to provide inner peace, not 
outer peace. Sharon Fleming wrote, when I was a teenager, our family took cross-country car trips each summer. To keep the peace, we each took a turn choosing a 90-minute cassette to play in the car tape deck. While it was played, and while it was our turn, no one was allowed to complain or comment about another's choice. She said, my mother liked to listen to hymns. I chose contemporary Christian music. My younger brother preferred rock. And dad, he always brought a blank 90-minute tape <laughs> And we honored his preference for peace and quiet. Well, Jesus came to provide inner peace, not outer peace. Christ's teachings taught all people to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He taught us to love your neighbor as yourself. He taught us to forgive those who mistreat you and, and to pray for those who persecute you. He taught us that you never stand so tall as when you stoop to help a child. He explained that serving the needs of others translates as direct service and, and worship vertically to God. He modeled that we should avoid arrogance and should exemplify humble selflessness to a me-first world. His mission was to offer us again the idyllic perfection of Eden's paradise in the final form of heaven. This reunion, this reinstatement of lost people returning to a close relationship with their heavenly father. But it was even more than that. Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people good, but to make dead people live. Christina Rossetti wrote the poem, The Miracle of Dreams. That night when shepherds heard the song of host angelic choiring near, a deaf man lay in slumber sleep and dreamed that he could hear. That night when in the cattle stall, Slept child and mother in humble fold. A cripple turned his twisted limbs and dreamed that he was whole. That night when o'er the newborn babe, a tender mother rose to lean. A loathsome leper smiled in sleep and dreamed that he was clean. That night when to the mother's breast, the little king was held secure. A harlot slept a happy sleep and dreamed that she was pure. That night when in a manger lay the Holy One who came to save, a man turned in the sleep of death and dreamed there was no grave. Remember, Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people good, but to make dead people live. And the consequence of our sin is eternal death, Romans 6, 23. It's this permanent separation from being in the presence of a, a perfect, sinless, holy God. Jesus came to give us another possibility of paradise. That was the original intent that God had. His design was for us to have this close personal fellowship with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, mankind, true community, 
this real intimacy of a realm that transcends this world's best attempts. And since the morning star, the Prince of Peace, has offered us this peace, then does that mean we'll never have any more problems? Not at all. In fact, just the opposite is true. Some of the early Christians died martyrs' deaths. All Christians will encounter hardships. Christians still contract cancer. Christians still experience divorce. Sometimes families turn against family members because of the newfound commitment to living for Christ. Following our immersion into Christ, we don't receive a sudden exemption from life's troubles and and difficulties. If If becoming a Christian exempted us from problems, then everyone would become a Christian for that reason alone. But often just the opposite is the case when challenges and temptations become intensified after we become Christians. Following Christ's immersion, Satan spent the next 40 days constantly bombarding Jesus, trying to get him to sin. Why should we expect any less? Jesus predicted in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Many define peace as the absence of war or conflict. And that is an accurate definition, but the kind of peace that Jesus provides is more than just the exemption of war or or conflict. It's an inner peace, a, a peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 7 calls it. This inner peace that provides a a personal tranquility even when storms are raging all around you. It's an inner peace that abides regardless of the outward circumstances. Listen as Paul goes on in, in that fourth chapter of Philippians to describe this. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And as Paul said, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So Jesus came to provide this inner peace, not outer peace. Let's review the insights about peace that we're gaining. Jesus came to provide spiritual peace, not political peace. Jesus came to provide inner peace, not outer peace. And finally, we need to realize that that Jesus came to provide permanent peace, not temporary peace. The Christmas season makes us desire peace, doesn't it? I mean, peace on earth, peace with people. Although we don't always get along with every type of person, we can refrain from thinking the worst about others or or, or criticizing or or, or bad-mouthing. There's an example in the the book of Acts. We read about 
the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest Christian of, of all time, and Barnabas, probably the greatest encourager of all time. And these two godly men had a very strong disagreement over whether or not to take John Mark with them on their next missionary journey. Paul said, no way, he's a quitter. He, he bailed out on us last time and had to come home. He, he's a mama's boy. We're not taking him. And Barnabas said, hey, give him another chance. He, he's a quality guy. Remember, he's young. Show him some grace, Paul, like a lot of people showed you. And the difference became so intense that Paul and Barnabas separated. They agreed to disagree. But notice they didn't badmouth each other. And when their opinions didn't agree, they kept on working for the Lord. They didn't start fighting with each other. And so Paul and Silas went on a mission trip together. Instead of Mark, he took Silas with him. And then Barnabas gave Mark another opportunity, and he traveled with him, and they went and served on a mission trip together. And as a result, two mission trips went out, and it doubled their effectiveness. Later, as his death was approaching, Paul had a change of attitude, and he extended the hand of friendship again to Mark, asking for his help and mentioning Mark's value to him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Differences with other people will always exist. When that happens, we may need to agree to disagree, always remembering that it is possible to disagree with someone without becoming disagreeable. One comedian joked about his new dog. He said, my dog is half poodle and half pit bull. She's not much of a guard dog, but she's a vicious gossip. <laughs> well, there's no room for gossip among Christ followers. The Bible is crystal clear in warning that such talk breaks God's heart. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Please realize that with our speech, we all are either in the construction business or in the demolition business. It depends whether we choose to build up and help unite or whether we sow discord and divide. Instead, we are called to be used by God to promote peace, to prevent conflict. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, 9, or Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I'm sure you've been at Cracker Barrel or a gift shop where they have those bookmarks or, or magnets that, that contain your name on it and a description of what your name means. And if it's human nature, when you see a display like that, what do you do? You look for your own name, right? And you pull that out and, and you see what your name means. Well, I learned that my name, Jeff, means peace or peacemaker. 
and I want to live up to my name. But that's really the commanded duty for every Christian. We are all called to be peacemakers. Romans 12, 18 states, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. This Christmas season, we are commanded to each do our part to reconcile others and create peace among others. The peace that Jesus came to provide is a permanent peace, not just a, a temporary peace. And there will never be permanent peace here on earth. The, the fallen nature of mankind and the gift of free will that enables all to choose and, and make sinful choices preclude experiencing permanent peace here in this life. Permanent peace will only be possible in heaven. It was for this end that we were originally created. So what matters most is being at peace with God. And only then can we enjoy the permanent peace of eternity. A friend of mine, Scott Hennig, whose son is Sam Hennig. Some of you know Sam. Scott's a, a capable writer. I liked this reworking of the, the poem Humpty Dumpty that Scott wrote. He said, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Millions of souls have sat on that wall. Millions of souls have had a great fall. The sin in their lives without God in their hearts has allowed them to fall and break into parts. Shattered lives all around, seeking answers not found. Neither doctors nor lawyers nor psychics nor friends can put broken lives back together again. But we have the answer for this world of ours to heal the fallen of their painful scars. Whether death, unemployment, an illness, divorce, Christ is the answer the ultimate source. So forget the king's horses, forget the king's men, let Christ put broken lives back together again. And that squares nicely with our, our mission at Batesville, to love God, love people, impact the world. So don't be overly discouraged. We live in a broken world, but there is a, a world that's coming that will have permanent peace. To live with that eternal perspective of an overcomer. Recall what Jesus told his apostles in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That will be real peace. If he came for us once, and he did, he will come back for us a second time, and he will. Jesus came to provide permanent peace, not temporary peace. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was famous as an American writer, but he also composed the lyrics to the Christmas song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And I want to recommend that you see the movie, I Heard the Bells, which is currently in theaters. And it's based on the backstory of composing this famous Christmas carol. Tragedy had struck in the Longfellow home on July 9th, 1861. His wife, Fanny, was near an open window placing locks of her daughter's hair in a packet using a hot sealing wax to secure it. It was never known whether a spark from the a match or the sealing wax was the cause, but suddenly her dress caught fire and she was engulfed in flames. Longfellow was sleeping in the next room. He was awakened by her screams. He dashed to rescue her. In the process, he, he was severely burned on his face and hands as he tried desperately to extinguish the flames and save his wife. She died in the fire. His burns were so severe that he could not attend her funeral. He seemed to, to lock the anguish deep within his soul, falling into a deep depression. His family could see his suffering in his eyes. They observed his long periods of silence. The, the burn scars on his face made shaving almost impossible, resulting in a long white beard. Although a literary giant, Longfellow still needed the peace that only God could give to his children. On Christmas Day, 1863, he sat down and desperately tried to reflect on the joy of the season. And He was never considered a hymn writer. However, the, the poem he wrote on that day was later set to music by the Englishman John Culkin. And the result is one of our most popular Christmas carols. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And as he came to the third stanza, he was stopped by the thought of the condition of his beloved country. The, the Civil War was in full swing. The Battle of Gettysburg was not more than six months past. Days looked dark. He must have asked himself, how can the last phrase of those stanzas be true in this war-torn country where brother fights against brother and father against son. However, he continued, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And actually, he could have been writing for our present time. And then as each of us should do, he turned his thoughts to the one who solves all problems, and from his pen flowed the final stanza. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And millions of children and adults the world over love this carol. 
peace and goodwill shall one day come to us when the Prince of Peace shall reign. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus came to bring permanent peace. And the only permanent peace will be established when Jesus comes again. He came that first time as a small infant. He will come the second time as a conquering king. He will right the wrongs and usher in eternity, which will be the ultimate peace for those who have chosen to live for him on earth and live with him in heaven. Revelation 21 Verses 3 and 4. And now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. We will wake we will live, and we will sleep in heavenly peace. Would you pray with me? Dear God, you have planted in our DNA the desire for peace. And Lord, we live in a, a world where peace is often elusive politically, in our families, uh, in our lives. And Lord, we, we pray for the Prince of Peace to come into our lives so that we may one day experience and inherit the true peace that you always intended for us. We pray in, in his name, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Amen.